This is the MIBTOnline.com podcast featuring recordings from our weekly and monthly live streaming meetings. To see the videos discussed in the podcast and be part of the discussion, please consider joining our association at MIBTOnline.com. Now, here's the show. Tim Kiefer, MIBTOnline.com. Welcome to our Wednesday meeting. It's 7 p.m. Central. Time to talk officiating right here at MIBTOnline.com. Tonight, we are doing it to the World Wide Web. Wait a minute, Tim. Don't we always do it to the World Wide Web? Yes, but we're doing it to everybody, not just our, our own internal feed. We are actually doing this uh, across, you know, across the globe, across the, the whole internet. So we're, we're real happy to, to be able to do that. Uh, once again, like I said, I'm Tim Kiefer. So thank you, uh, thank you for joining us here tonight at MIBTOnline.com. We're really looking forward to what we have in store. And I'm, I'm happy to, to share this with as many people as possible because it's all about you know, getting better as officials and learning from each other. And that's what we do here at MIBTOnline.com. Our mission is making the game better through the official. We want to make the game better. So that's why we're here talking every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central. We do something. Something will probably be here. Maybe we'll take a week off here or there from, from time to time. But that's, uh, that's what we're here to do. So, uh, so tonight, as you can see, we got an author with us. We'll get that more of that in a second. So tonight's meeting, we'll go through our announcements. We'll do the penalty port real quick. Uh, our, our author, Richard Lister, will be with us. So here are our announcements because we really want to spend as much time with him as we can. So uh, meeting schedule. All right, so we're, remember, we're doing our weekly meetings. Uh, so don't forget that, 7 p.m. Central, that's where they're at. Uh, our clinics, we're, uh, we got that IHSA conference coming up. So if you're an Illinois official, a great deal for you. You're going to get this conference as part of your membership. It's pretty, pretty uh, amazing. So you can join us or you can just do the conference for 50 bucks or whatever. It's up to you. But, I mean, that's coming up. It starts July 12th. It's going to go all the way through July 31st. So you Illinois officials, you've got it made here. How about it? And then our football clinic, we'll be doing that here August 11th. At uh, 5.30, it'll be four hours. And for once again, for the IHSA officials, the Illinois officials, we're going to make this a certified clinic. So um, our, our penalty reports. We always start things off with some stuff and, and things that are going on in the officiating world. So I'm going to kind of keep this brief today. Um, there are two major rule changes coming down in football and in basketball. They've been, they've been trying to keep the rule changes uh, to, a, to a small degree with the, with the COVID and whatnot and, and having uh, limited seasons last year. But there's going to be, there's a big football rule change in regards to block below the waist. It's, 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 it's big because of the free blocking zone and how, you know, the initial block has to be blocked below the waist. We're going to break all this, those rules down as we move through. So if you're interested out there and you're like, hey, when are you going to talk about these new rules? We're going to get to them. Don't worry. You'll be prepared for the season. So that's number one. Number two, the, uh, the Federation has adopted a shot clock potential in basketball. That's another big rule change for high school basketball. And we'll be covering that, I'm sure, in the fall for some of the basketball folks out there. So I just want to let you know that we're on top of these rule changes, but we can tell you about them now. But then what happens is, is that you're going to forget about them. So we're going to make sure that everybody's ready to go when the season starts. That's our goal, get everybody, get everybody ready to go because uh, we want to walk out on the field or on the court or whatever we do and 
and be ready for that. Also, we're going to have Sam Holbrook back with us. We're going to bring Sam in. He's still on the road umpiring baseball all across the country. So go visit him at a major league park near you since I'm hearing that major league stadiums are now opening themselves up to full capacity. So we'll have Sam back with us for your baseball guys. We're adding sports as we go. I'm talking with some wrestling guys. It's pretty, it's pretty cool here. We're going to have a lot of sports that we're going to continue to cover at MIBTonline.com. So you might want to consider joining us. $49 a year gets all of it. Plus, we're going to add coursework, too. We're going to have some courses that you're going to be able to take and, and have tests and certifications and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it, is, it is pretty cool, and we're, we're happy to, to have that. So before, before we bring in our uh, author, I'm going to run around. Uh, our, we, got, we got some of our panel with us, as usual, which is we're, we're glad to have them. And uh, we've got uh, Bill Lamagne. And whoops, I don't want that one. Bill, Bill, how are you doing today? And let me uh, unmute you before you start talking. So, Bill, how are you doing today? Well, if I uh, get muted, that probably would help things speed along. But, um, you know, great to be here. Look forward to our discussions tonight uh, with Richard and then, uh, and go from there. Absolutely. So I want to I thank you for, for joining us, Bill, as, as always. It's, it's great to have bill with us now we also have man in the text line in fact i'm going to throw that text line up there right now because that's going to be important for you tonight if you have questions or comments we've got the chat room working as well but the guy who's taking care of this he does every week and he's got a brand new microphone as well robert yabara robert how are you i'm doing great i'm here in the studio b live and i want to welcome all those that are viewing so we have different platforms i see we do have uh, viewers with us tonight, Tim and Richard and, and Bill. So let's, let's engage them in the conversation. We're excited about this tonight. Absolutely. That's why we got the text line up there. We're taking your questions for, for our esteemed guests. And let's, let's get to, to this, uh, our guest right away. So it, we're really happy that he's taking some time to, to spend with us. He's a lawyer. So let's not hold that against him. Uh, he, uh, he, he went to UCLA and he graduated from uh, California Western School of Law. So he's kind of a West Coast guy, but he's hanging out these days in Georgia. So, you know, lucky, lucky him. I don't know, West Coast, East Coast, Georgia. Uh, he's written a, a few books, The Third Team, The View from the O-Line, and his latest book, A Tough Job Made Harder, Football Officials in an Unforgiving World. So it's my pleasure to welcome in uh, with us tonight, right with us, is, uh, is Richard Lister. Richard. How are you doing today? Thanks for being here. Doing very well, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we do. We do appreciate uh, you taking the time to join us uh, tonight, and we're looking forward to a great discussion. So I'm just going to kick things off. You know, there's officiating is an avocation or a profession, however, that's not very popular. Let's just be honest. People aren't don't tend to to like officials for whatever reason. And uh, you you decided that you wanted to uh, write a couple books about officiating. So what sparked your interest to write these books about football officiating or officiating in general? How did you get on that? I played football and uh, always had positive interactions with the officials. And um, as time evolved, I found myself becoming more intrigued with the lesser known segments of the game. And few parts of the game are lesser known and appreciated than the officials. Um, and somewhere along about 1988, another attorney, his name is Howard Slavin, he was in a firm uh, with which our firm had a number of cases. Uh, and, and we learned that he had gotten a job with the NFL as a side judge. 
And that itself intrigued me. I thought, how does somebody who practices law, I know how hard I had to work. I had to work most weekends at that stage of my career and assumed everybody else who was practicing law did too. So it was always in the back of my mind, how is it that Howard is able to do this? It just seemed fascinating to me. And never really got a chance to talk to him about it, but uh, I was aware that he was doing it. So some years ahead, maybe another 10 years past, I seem to work in 10 year segments. Um, I got the idea that somebody ought to write a book about football officiating. So I read Jim Tunney's book, read Jerry Markbright's book, but I thought it would be interesting if there were a third party perspective on NFL officials and found that there really weren't any at all. So I decided one night to take Tony Morrison's advice, which is if there's a book that you want to read and it hasn't been written, you must write it. So <laughs> after discussing it with my wife, who scowled a little bit and said, are you serious? I, I decided to dive in. So I had the very, very good fortune in researching where to start. You know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step, but I didn't really even know where that would go. I threw a dart. I, I found out how to get a hold of Bill Carollo, who probably most everybody here knows is the uh, um, head of the officiating consortium in the Big Ten, who had a distinguished career as a, a referee and a side judge in the NFL. I found him at his day job and wrote him a letter saying, I'd be interested in doing this. Uh, do you have any suggestions? And I figured I would probably, A, not hear anything. B, if I heard anything at all, it would be along the lines of, you're trying to drive a car on some pretty icy roads. Or C, uh, you know, it's I appreciate your enthusiasm, but there's just really no way to get this done, given the cloak that the NFL and the league puts over access to its officials. But uh, I'll be darned if he didn't get a hold of me directly giving me his his uh, personal email and his cell phone number and uh, suggested that we get together to determine if there was a way to uh, give the project some legs so happily for me uh, he opened the doors to some of the most fascinating people i have ever met um, just a remarkable group of stories uh, and they were all uh, told in the third team, which uh, was published first in 2010. And it's an NFL centric book. It's about the lives and stories of NFL officials. There are a lot of timeless stories and historical, there's a lot of historical import. There are a lot of uh, parts to the book that are now obsolete. For example, there is a discussion of the tuck rule, which is now an anachronism, but uh, that gets some vigorous play in the book. And was just the greatest fun to write and, and a wonderful privilege to meet the people who had engaged in the work uh, for the NFL. So in the 10 years that followed its publication, uh, I began to see like everybody else did that football was changing in a very, very profound way. And I could see also that that had a significant effect on the work of officiating. So I thought at some point, I'm going to have to revisit the work, uh, talk about what sorts of changes have occurred over that period of time. Uh, and I wanted to do it uh, in a way that covered officiating from the bottom to the top, from the peewees up to the NFL, 
to talk to the authorities about what has changed and what makes the job harder now, a hard job, though it always was, harder and more challenging now than it has been, uh, and to uh, write an updated work about the challenges facing officials in today's football. So that is what begot a tough job made harder. Uh, and again, had uh, a fabulous time. Uh, <laughs> I, had I not been told I needed to lock myself inside last year, I'd have happily done it anyway, uh, because uh, the book was just such a uh, wonderful thing to immerse myself in. Plus the, the glory of Zoom allowed me to have this kind of discussion with the people I was interviewing. And as much as I liked sitting down with them the first time around and traveling to meet them personally, uh, this was, was very convenient uh, in, the, in the COVID world. Uh, so uh, that's how a tough job came to pass. Uh, and it all started, I, I tell Howard, Howard Slavin, I say, anybody asked me who the inspiration for the book was, it's Howard Slavin. Well, that's uh, well, I'm glad that you're able to elaborate. Now, um, here's the thing that's that you, you that's the name of the book, a tough job made tougher football officials in an unforgiving world. So based on your research, you mentioned it briefly, but what are some of the biggest challenges that you see now facing football officials, uh, football officials, in your opinion, from what you've seen? Well, uh the most profound one, I would think, and again, uh, this is from the perspective of a person who is essentially a sports writer, a layperson uh, who has observed the profession, the avocation, uh, and has researched it and written about it. Uh, I can't begin to speak to it the way that uh, those with their feet on the ground can, but from my observation and from my discussions with others, seemingly uh, the biggest challenge right now is player safety. Uh, it's uh, the officiating crew that's the first line of defense protecting players from themselves. The helmet-to-helmet -helmet fouls and targeting seem to me to be so challenging to be able to detect, uh, A, because there's a multiplicity of responsibilities uh, in the mechanics for each position. It's, it's the ultimate multitask, right? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you have this helmet-to-helmet -helmet explosion. Uh, and uh, from what I perceived and what was confirmed by talking to uh, the experts who I interviewed for the book, it's indeed a very, very hard call to make, but one that's essential in today's football. It's a call that uh, is, is reasonably new over the last decade. Uh, certainly when I played, you know, it was encouraged that you would lead with your head. And if you happen to trade some paint with the, the player you were opposite, so much the better. That was a badge of honor, right? So uh, today we've learned that neurologically, that's a huge risk. So the officials are charged with the responsibility of not only enforcing new rules that are, are, are new and, and more difficult to, uh, to, to detect, they're also responsible for enforcing the foul, the, the penalties for the fouls that uh, will be important toward maintaining the, the game, uh, keeping it safe for players uh, in the years to come. And, and that strikes me as a huge challenge. Um, well, and that's, you're right. I mean, player safety is, is a huge, huge deal right now 
it's kind of forefront in regards to anything in regards to when you're having a football officiating discussion. So you're right. It, it, they put it, they've put it on us, fair or unfair, to make the game safer. And I, I'm sorry, did you, did you have another, another challenge or something that you've uh, come across? Sure. sure. Well, um, the um, uh, other challenges, I think, are, you alluded to it somewhat humorously earlier on, but it is... Uh, what I would call the anti-official sentiment. Um, sure, officials aren't popular. Uh, I, I think most fans understand the job and understand what it entails, but it's that uh, maybe you would say that it's 10% that caused 90% of the headaches. Uh, but there is a, a critical mass at some level out there that just seems to be, uh, there's a more virulent anti-official sort of sentiment that has crept into the culture over the last 10 years. And the most abhorrent examples, of course, are those two instances in Texas. One several years ago where Robert Watt was attacked by the two defensive backs and two safeties uh, at a game in Marble Falls, the umpire that was literally attacked from the back. And just this last season, uh, the referee, Mr. Uh, Garcia, who was attacked by a player he had disqualified, uh, and those sorts of things are unheard of or were unheard of years ago. Um, I um, would hate to think that they're as, as frequent as, as uh, they might seem to be, but I'm afraid that it goes on at some level a lot more profoundly than um, maybe we imagined. But certainly, if not physical assaults, um, verbal abuse, um, uh, a generalized lack of appreciation, I think, for the work that officials do uh, is something that has become a, a significant uh, challenge that's grown over the last 10 years. Uh, and that has led to uh, what I was very surprised to learn was um, uh, attrition from the ranks of officials. And uh, that is worrisome to me in the sense that uh, as time goes by, if the troops aren't replenished, so to speak. Uh, coverage and player safety and getting the, the proper uh, number of crew out on the field to uh, uh, manage and maintain the game is going to become more challenging. The, uh, the profession and the avocation has become grayer. It's aged. That may have some advantages with people getting into it with more maturity under their belt. But whereas 18, 19, 20, 25-year-olds uh, were undertaking the work 20, 30 years ago, the average entry age, as I'm sure most of you know, is, is more advanced now. Uh, so that was something that I was surprised to learn that has changed uh, in the past decade as well. Well, no, that's true. We, we're in a critical, critical situation in regards to uh, the officiating community. And, and I think we all know that we talk about it, you know, we talk about it here pretty often in regards to, you know, where we're at, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, on that that topic for you know what it's and I, and I appreciate you you know taking a look at that because that's where th these are things that that are, are kind of affecting unfortunately all of us so I'm going to throw it over to uh, to Bill Lamagna here real quick because and then we'll go to Robert for some for some view, viewer questions so uh, so Bill uh, I know you had a chance to to look at some of R Richard's stuff and obviously being an official for a long time do you have uh, any questions uh, for Richard that you'd like to uh, ask? 
Well, two things came to mind as he was just talking. One was one was about the infamous time prior to re- replay when um, uh, we had the game with Michigan, Illinois, and there were two critical calls that were kicked in the game. We didn't have replay to help us, which, you know, it was still our responsibility to get them right. But um, the officials probably are not prepared for what we went through as a crew. Um, it happened to be an Illinois game. I had a reporter from Chicago Sun-Times um, uh, obviously write, write me up on, on the game. Uh, but where it got dicey was the fact that the reporter also included where I was a school principal. So that disrupted our school day uh, for three or four days uh, with all the phone calls that were coming into our school, let alone the text messages, et cetera. So officials need to be prepared for that. And that's probably one of the things that's detrimental. Also, the things that happen with your family are, I never gave much thought that my kids would be harassed over things that happened uh, from my officiating. Uh, so that that's something there. So those are things I think that that need to be um, need to be thought of. Now I do some consulting work for USA Football, which is a, a, a youth football organization, and they've done the reports and the studies about the decline in the number of officials. And um, one of the things that they pointed on is is that they get uh, people that want to do it, but the younger generation they don't like whether it's fans or coaches raising their voice or screaming at them. They're, they're not used to that because their parents in today's age don't yell at them. Coaches and teachers don't yell at them. Uh, so they aren't, they aren't ready to go out there and take that uh, verbal abuse from, from the uh, people at the game. And, and youth, youth sports are the most difficult sport, and it's the entry-level sport. So that, that's something that has to be looked at and addressed too. What, what do the organizations do to assist with this? Well, it seems to me that um, um, one of the things that uh, really made a lot of sense when I talked to Jason Nickleby, who is a center judge with the Big Ten in overseas officiating in, Arizona, uh, in, in Minnesota, uh, they have put on programs that are um, really geared toward, first of all, emphasizing official safety. Uh, emphasizing to the schools that there has to be um, a level of respect and a level of understanding that officials are essential to the game. And uh, it it may be that it's going to be very difficult to (laughs) wind down a coach who is hyper competitive uh, and and to get that coach to understand that it's um, there's a better way to approach talking to an official than screaming and yelling. Uh, but um, um, it, it, maybe it doesn't take, I don't know, but the, there are, are efforts being made in, at least in Minnesota, because uh, Jason was one of the subjects that I talked to in the book who indicated that uh, they're making a very, very strong effort across all sports to try to engender uh, more respect for the officials. Uh, to let the officials understand that they're in a safe place, that they're going to be escorted on and off the field, and that um, there needs to be, as he put it, uh, uh, 
an attitude that they shape up or ship out. So I think if associations uh, work in, in conjunction with coaches, and there are a couple of other, other instances uh, across all of these issues where suggestions have been made, where sitting down with coaches, interaction with coaches, discussion and open communication with coaches, that may be a very good place to start. Um, uh, it um, um, is true that uh, I think perhaps today's younger person uh, is more sensitive to words than perhaps you and I were. Uh, for years and years in, in football practice, I thought my middle name was a cuss word. And uh, I don't know that that applies these days, but um, perhaps it's true that in the culture, people are more sensitive. Maybe things penetrate the skin a little bit more easily. Uh, I don't know. I'm quite confident that as officials progress and as they gain experience, that that skin grows tougher, just like a blister that becomes a callus and pretty soon it's just part of your foot. Uh, I, I think that's part of, uh, from my perspective, again, as a layperson, that's part of uh, the growth of, of an official. But I think it's essential that there be interaction between athletic directors and, and coaches. And, and I, I think you're absolutely right at the peewee levels where uh, Mike Pereira puts it in the book, the, the worst class of people that uh, are, are, are the ones that are the loudest are called parents. And, and that's understandable. Everybody is invested in their child's success, but at some level there needs to be uh, an effort made to engender some respect for those people out there on the field, because without the people on the field, there's no game. No, you're right. There's no game. And, and Jason's a good guy up in Minnesota. Actually, uh, I, uh, I've had, he's helped us out. You know, he, he likes what we're doing here. So I, I do uh, appreciate what, what Jason does bring to the table. So we do, you know, we're, I agree with you and, and we need more guys like him. Now I'm going to throw it over to, to Robert real quick. Robert, um, what, what's the, what's going on out in the chat world or the, uh, in, in the, uh, what do you want to say in the uh, the text world? I mean, I throw I'll throw up the text line again just so people if they've got a question or or whatnot. So what what, what do you got for us, Robert? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with some easy questions and then I'll build up. But we got a lot of interaction. So uh, Richard, thank you for joining us tonight. I'm gonna start with a really easy one. And and a lot of our viewers have gone to Amazon to look to find your book and they see it's available on Kindle and they see it's available paperback. But some are interested in hard copy. Is there any chance to have a hard copy option as well? No, it's, it's uh, Amazon print on demand, so there's not a hard copy. I guess I can investigate that uh, with uh, the people that uh, are helping me publish it. Uh, but uh, no, at the moment, uh, the, the paperback is the uh, only hard copy available. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you, Richard. Okay, so That's an easy question. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was an, that, was, that was a real easy one. Okay, so you know, based on the title, I'm just going to try to build up. Based on the title, uh, A Hard Job... Um, is a is a it's a tough job made harder. Can it dive into a couple points relative to that to that statement there alone? How is it that it has become hard outside of what you have mentioned thus far so far? Um, Technology. Related. Here's a paradox that fascinates me. Technology is invoked in the pursuit of perfection. We want everybody to get every call right. That's what every official that steps on the field that's worth his or her salt wants. They want to get it right. We also recognize that perfection is a very slippery bar of soap. We're not going to get it. 
So we've introduced technology, which started uh, as a process by which we could look at planes, lines on the ground, feet on the ground, does the ball contact the ground, objective facts that can correct something that the human eye can't see. Well, as the technology in, in the wonders of that television that I have downstairs or even this computer monitor I'm looking at with uh, resolution that I couldn't have dreamt of 30, 40 years ago, uh, the fan is sitting there with perhaps a can of beer or a sandwich in the other hand, wondering why the side judge couldn't see what it is that the viewer is seeing in very, very slow motion. Well, the fact is the human eye doesn't work that way. So we've invoked technology in the service of getting it right. And at the same time, it's created this expectation that, well, we're all uh, like the, the bionic man with the eye that uh, was given to him after that crack up at when that, that show on about 40 years ago where uh, uh, Lee Majors got all of the, the uh, mechanical equipment became essentially a robot with, with vision that was better than Superman's. Well, there's no official in the world that has that kind of eyesight. So there's this expectation that uh, the person on the field should have seen what it is that we're seeing broken down and parsed from as many different angles as, as, as you can imagine. The Super Bowls, I can't remember, uh, Jeff Bergman quoted it in the book, how many angles they had uh, in the, the Super Bowl, how many cameras, and he just he posed the question, what are they looking at and what are they looking for? So um, you've got that uh, now that's conflating with judgment, which is a huge part of the game. And all of a sudden, we've reached this place where we're now introducing uh, second guessing, uh, applying somebody's judgment to judgment of somebody who's made a call on the field. And that has created exceptional difficulty as well. Um, coming back to your original question, how is it challenging? Just the foul of pass interference, how that's evolved over my lifetime and uh, in, in, in looking at it and saying, this is a judgment call, read the rule. There's no hard and fast bright line as there is for a false start or an illegal formation. Uh, it's, it's a judgment of whether or not the receivers ability to catch the ball was unreasonably interfered with. And I might see it one way, you might see it another. Um, what I loved was hearing the story that Mike Pereira told about the co competition committee meetings. He said, we'd queue them up. He says, I love those meetings. We'd have eight plays. Four of them were uh, eight guys, eight people uh, were writing on a secret ballot for eight or 10 plays. Was it or wasn't it pass interference? they always broke down four to four. You know, it just, you, you couldn't get agreement in the room. So that to me is a huge challenge as well. And I, I think that the great ones, as Jerry Markbright says, uh, they develop a feel for it. They develop a sense for it. And of course that comes with experience, that comes with repetition. But, um, um, you know, there, there is going to be this um, nebulous area where there's going to be disagreement sometimes. And that to me is a strain on an official, right? I mean, I see it one way, nobody sees it another way. Uh, I am an attorney by training and there are many, many decisions that a judge makes in a courtroom 
that are discretionary. Uh, one judge might say this evidence is admissible. Another judge might say it's not admissible. A court of appeal is going to leave it alone. They're going to say, unless it's a horrible abuse of discretion, unless it's so clearly wrong, we're leaving it in your hands. So to give that responsibility to uh, an official judging past interference seems to me, again, as a layperson, that's a handful, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, I would agree. It is a handful. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned something about a lay, you know, kind of a layperson, you know, kind of looking at it as a fan and you've written these books. So let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about, you know, let's, let's put on the gear, let's go out and uh, let's, let's referee a game or two to see how it, it really is. Have you ever had that, that thought? I've thought about it a lot. <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought about it 10 years ago and uh, did not follow up. Uh, now I'm 10 years older. Still, and in, in, I will say, very, very good shape. Still have my mental faculties. Can move very well for a person my age. So it's not like I'm not entertaining it still. Um, it would be a fascinating thing to do. Uh, I, I think I have a pretty good understanding of, of rules being an attorney. Uh, although I'll say another challenge that uh, comes along with being an official. Back in 2009, when I was talking to Mike Pereira, he handed me a copy of the, the NFL rule book. And I sat down to read it and it just, I said, this is unbelievable. I mean, it's not as thick or as voluminous as the law books that are in the libraries, but this is, this is a load. The rules of football are complicated. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, that is a challenge to me that I, I think that, uh, Again, have to consult with my wife, but um, it, to answer your question, if I'd have done this 20 or 30 years ago, there's no question I'd have done it. Well, we, we'll take you. We, we need them. I'm sure they would love you to come down in Georgia. They don't care. I mean, they'll teach it because we're at that point right now. I mean, we'll take any, anybody with a pulse and a patch, a like what we, we like to call it here, because it is really a critical situation, unfortunately. So... But uh, I just curious because you know that's that's one of those things where you just kind of wonder you know you, you write a book do, do you want to have you uh, had a chance so I appreciate you kind of letting us know I'm gonna uh, ask Bill Lamine I'm gonna throw it back over to, to to Bill here real quick and uh, so Bill have you uh, uh, do you got anything else any other questions or anything that that may have uh, that you thought of Well it'd be interesting you know the uh, SEC conference uh, works with the ESPN. And on spring games uh, for football, they have the last couple of years invited uh, ESPN to put a crew or two together and go and work a spring game in the SEC. And it's been actually it's been a very good and humbling experience for some of our announcers uh, who have particularly those that have been very critical of, of officiating. Um, for them actually to go out there and they find out that there's a huge difference now that you're responsible for the game. You know, when you're not responsible for it, hey, it's easy to be a critic, you know, but when you're responsible for it, uh, that's it. The other thing I was thinking of, and it goes back to what Richard was talking about, was, you know, when I got in the Big Ten back in 93, 94, half our games weren't even on TV. Uh, the other half that were on, on TV – uh, they they did the games basically at a quality that was v what we know as VHS tape. Um, you know, it's not the high definition that we see. 
And most of those games probably only had four or five cameras uh, at that time. And you alluded to what they talked about, Jeff Bergman talked about with the NFL. Now, when we have our prime game on ESPN, there's 20 some cameras, high definition, uh, unbelievable there, the coverage on it. So today's officials are challenged uh, where we could officiate a lot more by philosophy back in the 90s and early 2000. The officials today are hit with the, with the thing of being more technically correct uh, because of what TV can do with the game. So your thoughts on, on that? Um, I, am, I, I hark back again to Mike Pereira said it quite well. He said, we used to go out and we would manage a game. Today you go out and you call a game. And that's to your point that it's become very technical. Uh, and he admits to being part of the process where attorney uh, attorneys uh, officials were graded on the calls that they missed, the calls that they made, uh, and, and in a very technical way. I think, um, and I expect what we're going to see based on what I'm hearing from my interviews is there's going to be a lot more emphasis on training and mechanics. And uh, with Wald Anderson taking over the reins at the NFL in terms of, of overseeing the training process in the officiating department. Uh, and I think that um, there's going to be and would hope that there's going to be a movement back toward that, that sense of the judgment, the ability of, of the, the uh, officials like you, Bill, who have um, been at it for so long and have done it so well that know how to, to manage a game. And, and I think before we uh, were joined uh, by, or before we joined the other participants, we were talking about how Red Cashin alluded to how Jerry Martwright was a master at that, how to, uh, how to manage a game. Um, and uh, there was that, that famous play where, um, uh, I can't remember the Green Bay tackle dumped Jim McMahon on his head and Jimbo Covert retaliated against the, the Packer defensive tackle. And the way that Jerry unwound that was was so filled with common sense, and uh, it was not technically correct, but it was the correct ruling. He had this sense, this feel for judging and managing the game, which is what I think Mike was talking about when he des describes the difference between this hyper technical world that we live in versus judgment. And um, I, I kind of allude to that by a baseball analogy toward the end of the book. I'm thinking, well, you know, we've got the every every baseball game you watch has got the electronic strike zone. I guess that's great. But there was always that part of me that loved watching someone like Greg Maddox, even before I moved to Atlanta. I always loved watching Greg Maddox and, and how how they were able to nibble at the edges, so to speak, and how that human element became part of. The, the give and take between the not just the pitcher and the batter, but the umpire. Well, I, I think, you know, officiating in a larger sense in football uh, has a lot of the same characteristics. You're managing a game. You've got 22 incredible athletes that are in a very, very um, uh, aggressive game. And it does take a certain feel and a certain touch. I don't think anybody uh, will be able to make a, a straight-faced argument that feet on the ground are going to be replaced by any sort of automatons ever. Uh, we're going to need officials. So um, my sense is uh, I, I would love to see that, that element of what 
is what is common sense? What is, are, are we going to try to carve everything with the sharpest scalpel possible? Or are we going to go to uh, a place where we understand that they're very, very devoted, very passionate, very, very um, um, enthusiastic officials that love what they do and do it as well as they can and, um, and try to get away from, especially uh, these areas where replay has uh, usurped judgment. I don't think that has a place. I think that uh, readers will see that there are some very prominent voices that agree with that assessment uh, for, for the ball hitting the ground, for uh, line to gain, you know, the, the uh, you know, maybe there's going to be some technological chip in the ball that'll tell us about the line to gain somewhere along the line, maybe even uh, some prolongations of the goalpost to tell us if a field goal is good. Um, that all might be fine, but there's still that area of judgment that's part and parcel of the game that uh, I think that um, that humanity needs to be part of it. And uh, that's what uh, officials bring to the game. And it's what I've always I enjoyed, I recall a few interactions with officials during the game, and I just thought they were so sensible. They would tell me if I was lined up incorrectly, or, or they would compliment me if I, as a defensive lineman, avoided the quarterback. They, you know, they'd make a they'd, you know, way to avoid that, that contact, way to avoid the penalty, way to avoid, way to avoid the foul. And that's, that stuck with me. I thought, you know, as I came to learn, preventive officiating, being part of that, that, that was, I thought, a great thing. Uh, and I came to learn that the good ones do that sort of thing. Uh, so yes, to your point, I'd like to see a little less emphasis on, on uh, the technical component. Uh, and I think the voices that know way more about this than I do, talking about trying to develop consistency, trying to develop um, a, a means that uh, everybody gets as much experience and as much exposure to um, training films and that sort of thing as they can get that's all going to be great for officiating and great for the game. So yeah, lasers are coming. You'll have lasers on the yep. field and, and extended goalposts, all that stuff. You know, somebody once said the game, and it was more of a, of a baseball thing, the game is played by humans, coached by humans, it should be officiated by humans. I, th I do think that, that that does hold some water. So I've got uh, one last question for you, and I'll throw it over to Robert and see if uh, we got any last-minute questions because I really do appreciate you taking some time with us tonight. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. But so through your research, what is the most interesting fact or tidbit that you've learned about officiating or just about maybe even just about the sport in general? What is something like that maybe we didn't know like through your research? Wow, that was kind of like you just walked back and said, wow, that was pretty interesting. Well, I think you all know this. It was a revelation to me, uh, but it makes great sense uh, in, in hindsight. Uh, the fact that the officiating crew works as a, a distinct unit rather than five or seven people or eight uh, in, in college mechanics working in their own fish ponds. Um, football is the ultimate team sport. And I think what delighted me the most to learn is how the uh, essence of the crew is, is, um, is of the greatest import to the way that the job is done. Uh, how the, the, uh, the umpire in the traditional position uh, interacts with the referee and now interacts with the center judge and eight person mechanics. 
um, the way that two uh, officials work on the sideline in tandem with one another and, and work with the back judge, uh, with the deep middle. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, I, I was like everybody else. I had these questions about officials and what they did and figured, well, they're just paying attention to their own assignments. And uh, to, to have learned the value that the officials place in working with their crew members, it's heartening because football is such a great team game, probably the best, there are a lot of great team games, of course, but uh, football is a fabulous team game. And to have learned that the officials operate at their best when the crew operates as a crew at, at its best, I, I think that was revelatory to me. No, I mean, that, that you're right. Team sport officials were the third team on the field. I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but it's not. It's exactly what, what actually happens, which is great. So, Robert, any last-minute questions here that, uh, that might have uh, come up uh, for Richard before we, uh, we call it a night? Yes, yeah, so there are a lot of questions from viewers. And viewers, thank you for being patient, and hopefully we'll get through these real quick. Question number one, gambling. Was that discussed or did you comment in your book related to that aspect of the game and how it impacts, obviously, the sensitivity of the outcome in, in, on, a, on any given play? Not directly. Um, it, it is, uh, one of the contributors uh, observed that the loudest voices tend to come from uh, disgruntled gamblers and disgruntled fantasy players, <laughs> but uh, not directly, no. Uh, Nothing, nothing at all that uh, would impact the performance on the field uh, versus uh, the handle of money that happens to be riding on a given game. Thank you. Another question is related from an official's perspective of advancement, advancing from one level, let's say high school to college or collegiate level to the NFL. Was that shared? Did you do any research on that topic? Yes. Uh, we talked uh, at some length about uh, uh, a more traditional path that uh, took uh, a, an official many, many years to reach the pinnacle. Uh, and that was the, the traditional model. Uh, today, um, a lot of young officials are anxious to move ahead. And um, there's some counsel given by some of the old guard that uh, you know, patience is important. Yet with later entry into the avocation and for those who, who are pursuing it as a profession, uh, there needs to be a long enough runway to give you that experience to get from one division to the next and to the goal that uh, I presume many, many, many people aspire to, which is the NFL. Um, you know, it, it's going to be more compressed now with the later entry into the process. So there was some discussion of it in, in how to modulate it is one of the things that I think that the powers that be are wrestling with. Um, a lot of the old guards say, well, we paid our dues. Why shouldn't they? A lot of young officials are saying, um, I've had two good seasons. I want the state championship and I want to move up to um, the, the division one uh, games as soon as I can. And that's understandable. That kind of passion and that kind of drive is what makes officials great. But, uh, as one of the one of the contributors said, there's no substitute for experience, and so getting reps is is part of the trick. And uh, so yes, there is discussion about that, and uh, how that uh, works itself out in the process is is going to be up to somebody other than me. But it's it's an interesting conundrum, and uh, 
be interested to see how it evolves over the years. You know, you, you made a comment in your in, in your uh, delivery tonight and, and in your book about, you know, how officials take abuse and it's even made social media awareness. It's made even network media awareness and how that kind of deters in our recruiting process. Uh, just comment a little bit more on that, how that's changed over the last 10 years. Uh, it's become worse. People are, are less well behaved. People, uh, uh, I think, find a path of low resistance in the officials. They have to blame somebody, right? So uh, if the official misses a call, that's an easy target. Uh, how that's addressed, I don't know, other than I, th I think that part of the answer uh, involves somehow uh, communicating between coaches and officials. I think coaches may be the bulwark or athletic directors, uh, in addition to coaches, the bulwark to try to get a message out that, uh, hey, we need to modulate how we're handling our, our relationships with the officials. That may be hard to do when somebody's job depends on the game's outcome. I understand that. But if we're talking about high school, if we're talking about ninth grade, we're talking about those places where the game is played at its most meaningful level, uh, where most people are going to engage in it. Uh, it seems to me it would make some sense to um, somehow engage that, uh, in, in as an attorney who's done a lot of mediation, communication is a huge thing for me. And so um, to Tim's question that, you know, will I get out on the field, you know, the I imagine they could stick me an umpire and I could probably handle that. Uh, but in addition to that, I'd like to make some contribution if I could, because obviously I'm invested in, in the work that you all do. I'm invested in the game. I love it. That's why I undertook this. So I don't know, maybe there's some way I could make uh, some contribution to fostering that kind of communication that Jason's talked about up in Minnesota. Uh, and uh, uh, for those who will read the book, they're going to read a fabulous fabulous uh, program that Mike Pereira is trying to put together in Sacramento, where he's trying to uh, convince coaches to get two or three players who aren't going to advance in their football careers any longer to take up officiating and to learn it and to enter it at a young enough age that they have that runway where they can advance uh, uh, over the, the course of years. Um, He's very, very enthusiastic about it, and I thought it was a fabulous idea. And so anybody who can uh, uh, generate that sort of a thought toward recruitment and retention, I think, is doing a great service to officiating into football. No, it's, yeah, I've, I definitely have heard of that program, and I've, we've, we've actually tried it. I, I was doing a game a couple uh, years ago, a Division One game. And the, uh, one of the players seemed to really be interested and he knew all the rules and stuff. And I pulled him aside at halftime and I said, hey, maybe you should be an official after your you know, Division I football career. And he looked at me like I was nuts. He's like, you see all those people up there in the stands? They're, they're cheering for me. And I'm happy about that. But if I put on the stripe thing, I'll be cheering for me. They're going to be yelling at me. So I don't have any interest in doing that, which is just... It's crazy that that's like where we're at right now. So, Robert, uh, is there any uh, any like last minute? We got one more. I got time for one more question, Robert. If uh, if you've yeah. got a, a question, do we do we have one this, available? Yeah, this this will be the last one because I did have numerous viewers ask a similar type question, and it, it is coming down to recruitment. It's unfortunate we're seeing, in, at least in the state of Illinois, a lot of officials may try it 
but then they decide, eh, this isn't really what I appreciate. The pay's not really that well. A lot of hours. Don't feel appreciated by the coaches, by the fans. I'm out. <laughs> so, Richard, the question from the viewers are just this. What advice do you have to us officials to try to recruit, other than what Mike Pereira has suggested with the, going to the, the players who won't have a collegiate career in advancement? Uh, I'd like to see local businesses um, somehow involve uh, people that love the game that would uh, be willing to uh, fund a small foundation that would grow, that would help defray some of the costs because, uh, you know, the, the, the officials are doing it for the love of the game. The money is there. That's, that's good. There's, uh, there's, there's uh, beer money as, as Mike Pereira put it, as he started working uh, games back in the day when he was in college. Uh, but um, the costs are considerable as well. So if there were some way associations could uh, find uh, businesses that would be interested in maybe uh, sponsoring uh, or contributing to a foundation, it seems to me uh, allaying some of the expense because it's not inexpensive to buy the gear. It's not inexpensive to join an association. It's not inexpensive to drive your car 50 miles to a game if that's what it takes if you're in a rural area. Uh, so uh, support for officiating uh, outside the traditional sources is something that I, I think would be worth exploring as well. And again, as somebody who's um, developed a voice uh, for, for this, uh, not having engaged in the work itself, uh, these are thoughts that have occurred to me as I try to look at how I can help solve some of these problems because it's not just a matter of um, the, the problems that the game has uh, encountered that we're all aware of over the last 10 years. These problems that are, are plaguing um, attrition and officiating, I think, are a big, big um, potential difficulty for the game down the road. So I love the game and uh, if there's anything I can do that uh, I can determine will, will help the cause, I'm going to try to put my mind to that. Well, Richard, I, I do want to thank you for joining us. And before, before we cut you loose, I'm going to throw it back over to Mr. Uh, Mr. LaMagna here real quick and see if he's got any uh, last-minute comments or questions or anything like that. So, so Bill, do you, do you have anything here? I thoroughly enjoyed listening to Richard tonight, and I hope I get the opportunity in the uh, near future to uh, talk some more with him. Um, I think he's done a fantastic job with uh, his, uh, not just the book, but his uh, insights into it and, uh, and that. So uh, appreciate it very much, uh, your contributions there, Richard. Well, thank you. Um, so, well, we appreciate it too, and uh, I'm going to, so, Bill, thanks for you know being with us as, as usual. We always uh, we always appreciate your time. And then let's uh, we got to throw we got to get Robert back up here real quick. Robert, so thank you for joining us. And you know, as always, man in the uh, man in the chat. And uh, any last minute comments just from from yourself, Robert? I just I was we're we're blessed, Richard, for you to be articulate to put into words uh, what we feel as officials. So thank you for that. It gives us something to read during the soft season, and uh, we truly do appreciate your time with MIBT tonight. Thank you. Oh, my great pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, Richard, thank you so much, like I said, for, for all of us here at MIBT Online. 
Facebook.com and all of our members and the people who are watching. We really appreciate you taking some time with us tonight. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, hopefully we weren't too, too hard on you and, uh, and grilling you, you know, but we just, we obviously we love this and, and you have an interest, but you wrote a few books or a couple books about it. So, so thank you for being with us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Tim. So uh, we're going to, we're going to call it a night here. But so obviously next week, we'll be back next week. Looking forward to that. Um, you don't want to miss anything that we do here next week. We're actually going back into our football stuff. We're going to talk the play of the week, the play of the month. We're going to go back to that and we're going to break it down. Hopefully Bill will be with us. Robert will have Mike Billica, the whole gang. We're going to break down the play. Looking forward to that. Can't wait. So be with us next week, 7 p.m. Central. Remember, if you don't see it live, no big deal. Officiating on demand. It's like Netflix for officiating. That's what we do here. So for everybody, I want to thank Richard once again. Robert and Bill for being with us, all the viewers tonight, all the people who participated and asked the questions. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week right here at MIBTOnline.com. Until then, I am Tim Kiefer, and we will. Thanks for listening to the MIBTOnline.com podcast. Join today at MIBTOnline.com. We'll catch you next time.